Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. This is episode number 82, and I am really excited for today's episode. So it is talking about using edible plants in your landscaping. Why this is so cool is because a lot of people, and even including myself, even though we have quite a bit of acreage here on our homestead, but most of us want the outside of our house to look nice and to be welcoming, and most of us to some degree have landscaping. Now, especially if you live in an urban environment, or you live in an area that you have a homeowners association, you know, you're required or you have your landscaping, but you might not have a lot of extra room to have a full on vegetable garden or fruit orchard or something like that. But having edibles on hand that you can eat and are growing on your property is really good for so many reasons for self sufficiency, for lowering your food bill. And what I love is we all want our place to look nice. I mean, when people come up, drive up to your house or you have people over, you want you want it to look nice. You know, we want it first impressions. We want it to look pretty. So landscaping elements are something that most of us consider. And I am a huge fan of things doing double duty. So not only are they functional, but they also look good at the same time. And I love that this carries over into our landscaping. What's really cool about today's episode is I have a special guest on because there's different elements of landscaping and there's a lot of lost or forgotten plants or plants that are actually edible that most of us don't even realize are actually edible. Now, I have to put in here, you know, please do your research. So don't just assume that something is edible, but make sure before you go and pick something that's new or that you're not 100% sure is edible, that it is edible and that it's safe to eat. And sometimes there's different plants that part of the plant is safe to eat and then other plants aren't. Like for example, rhubarb. So most of us, rhubarb is great. It's one of my very first favorite spring plants, but the rhubarb leaves are toxic. So you can't actually eat the rhubarb leaves. So they're not a green that you can eat. And if you've got livestock such as cattle or horses, then that leaf of the rhubarb, the stalk is the edible part. So if you chop off the leaves, you don't want to throw the leaves out where your cattle can get into it or your horses might eat it or an animal might get into it because they're toxic to animals as well. So it's just, it's really important before you start harvesting edibles that you're not really familiar with that you just do a little bit of research. So I'm really excited for today's guest because we get to dive into this and you guys we the very first thing that she talks about is something that I have in my landscaping and I did not know was edible. So I'm really excited to dive into this subject and for you guys to listen to this because I think it is really cool and I'm so excited. I'm going to be adding elements into our landscaping that more edibles into our landscaping and I already had two of the items that she talks about in our landscaping and I wasn't utilizing them as edible. So I am super excited for this. I think it's gonna be a great benefit to you because most of us in the springtime at the time of this recording was the very end of March. A lot of times in the spring is when we start bringing in new elements to our landscaping, kind of refreshing it up, bringing in some annuals, putting in new perennials. So this is the perfect time to start really considering bringing edibles elements in to your landscaping. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Yeah. So I, I'm just fascinated by this topic. So if you were going to pick, say, your top three favorite wild or not, excuse me, not wild edibles, but edibles that you can put in with your landscaping that double as being something that's pretty and that's also edible, what would your top three be? Oh, I don't know if I could choose just three. Um, and <laughs> 
I <laughs> there's the truth is there's so many amazing plants that make really beautiful landscape plants, and sometimes it's kind of unexpected. Um, it, there are plants where they're primarily used as ornamentals now, mm-hmm. but they were originally developed as edible plants. For example, hostas are one that are a staple in many shade gardens. In Japan, they were originally developed for their spring shoots, and the outside shoots were harvested each spring, and you can cook them like asparagus. You can wrap them up in bacon or um, chop them up in a stir-fry, and then you know you let the inside shoots grow so that your plant doesn't die. Hostas are perennials, and so you're able to just have a yearly harvest similar to asparagus, but they do well in the shade as opposed to the sun. And that's a really good example of a plant that's kind of been co-opted for landscaping purposes. Yeah. That was originally bred for its edible. So I had no <laughs> idea. I have ho- I am like laughing because I have hostas right now that are just coming up because at the time they're of the just morning, about to bloom. Yeah. Yeah. It's in it's in late March, and so my gardening zone things are just coming up. You know, like the bulb plants and the perennials are starting to come up. My rhubarb's just starting to to peek out and grow. It's not quite harvest time yet, and so I've got like. I think I have four sets of hostas in the front of our house in the shady area, and I had no idea that they were edibles. I'm so excited. <laughs> I tried some uh, with bacon and garlic and butter kind of sautéed, and it, they were they were really good. Um, I would say they are very asparagus-like. The texture is a little bit more like spinach maybe, um, oh. but the taste is like asparagus. And so um, I have been told that different like varieties and colors have a little different flavor. Oh. So you might have a favorite. You might have to try like test taste buffet with your family and see which ones they like the best. I wouldn't recommend harvesting from first year plants. Um, you know, you want your plants to be well established the first year because they are perennials. Right. So you That's- want them to be strong and come back year after year. Very similar to asparagus and rhubarb as well then, as far as the harvesting. And mine are like, um, oh heavens, they're like 10 years old. So if you haven't divided them, then you could just harvest them instead. And that'll be a lot lower maintenance to take care of them anyway. I, I know. I love that because they do actually, they are due to be divided. And so if you're harvesting them, then you don't even have to deal with the whole dividing thing. Um, I'm just so excited. I did not know that hostas were edible. So, okay, awesome. And for those of us that have, like here, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. We have quite um, a lot of shade or wet areas <laughs> to tuck in little nooks. And it's actually sometimes quite hard to find plants that grow well in the shade. So I'm just so excited that hosta not only is a wild, is an edible that we can eat, but that it grows in the shade too. So awesome. Yes. One of the original designs that I created for this book specifically was a, a part shade front planter. And, um, you know, a lot of homes have that kind of by the door garden area uh, between the sidewalk and the house. And, you know, a lot of times what ends up happening is you just put a a box with there and, and you mow them down flat across the top. And I call them Stepford wife shrubs because they're, they're just so same old same old and there's <laughs> nothing special or unique about them at all. And so one of the things that I did in this book was create a design based on my house, which is part shade front yard. And so I showed all of the possibilities from a uh, camellia for shrub, a Cornelian cherry tree, which 
can tolerate shade because it's it's an understory. It's related to the dogwood family, oh. and so it's a it's more of an understory, uh, small tree, mm-hmm. and so it will tolerate that part shade environment, but still produce a fruit that you can harvest and make jams and and wine out of or um, jelly or whatever you like. And um, I even had one uh, Cornelian cherry sauce that was poured over uh, pancakes as a topping for pancakes instead of syrup. Uh, So that it needed a little bit more sugar for that um, than maybe a jelly would take, but it was very good. So that's kind of a, one of the designs that I did tackled that problem of shade very specifically because I know that that's something that a lot of homeowners struggle with. And it doesn't matter really where your home is. You're going to have a shady side somewhere and right. there's no reason not to make it beautiful and productive at the same time. Yeah. So what was the other you mentioned? Um, and for those of you that are listening to this while you're on the go and not reading it as the transcript or the blog post, I will have atmoscanors.com. This is episode number 82 you will be able to just click and we'll have all of this will be transcripted in a full on blog post. So you can go back and grab and the specific plants that we're talking about, you'll be able to see them. So if you want to put some of those in, then you'll be able to see the ones that we, that we're mentioning if you want to go and add those into your own landscaping. So I know a lot of times I'm listening to a a podcast, I'm on the go and I'm like, Oh, I need to write this down. I don't have a pen. Um, So we'll have all that taken care of. So you can go and grab that. Um, You just go to mostcanaros.com, click on the podcast button. And this is episode number 82. So you mentioned, which I'm really excited about is the cherry tree. So I'm going to be looking into that. I have some cherries and they're in full sun, but I'm going to, I actually need to add some things to our shade area. So I am learning so much from this already. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I've got you, the hostas and you mentioned one other, I think it was a flower perhaps that goes in the shade area that's inedible. And I missed that. Yes. Camellia. And then the other, okay. the other one in that design, and when you get a chance to look through the book, you'll see this design. Um, all of the designs have kind of a top down overview of where I place the plants, and then plant by plant, what makes each one special, why I consider it kind of a rock star in the in the edible landscaping arena, what its benefits are both as a landscape plant, like what makes it beautiful and useful for curb appeal, and also what makes it awesome as an edible, potential edible for you. Um, one that does well in semi-shade is uh, the elderberry shrubs. And there are recent developments, um, you know, a a native elderberry tends to be a little bit uh, overgrown, very shrubby, kind of nondescript green. The flowers are very beautiful and large, but they don't last very long. And so it's really exciting to me. And one of the things that took the most research when I was doing this book was finding specific varieties of edible plants that really do add something very valuable to the landscape. Mm -hmm. Proven Winters has developed an elderberry that is edible, um, still re- retains all of its edible uh, qualities, but it has a burgundy foliage. Oh. And so it, it adds this great pop of color. It would contrast really well with like the lime green or variegated hostas. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you're not losing any of the edible qualities. So it's a little bit more a contained growth pattern, growth habit. So you're not having to prune it quite as heavily each year. So lower maintenance, that's good. I'm all about low maintenance. I have five kids. So I like my gardening to be uh, as simplistic as possible. Amen. Then, <laughs> yeah. So, so you're getting all of the benefits of the elderberry plant, but with a variety of choosing one very strategically, 
that is also very beautiful and adds something very valuable to the landscape. Okay. I am so excited because elderberry is one <laughs> that I've been wanting to put in because elderberry, as you know, I'm sure many of you know, or if not, then you're going to learn something even more fun here is elderberry has some medicinal purposes and a lot of people will make some syrups and tonics and whatnot with that to keep in their, you know, natural medicine cabinet. And so it's been one that I've been wanting to put in and I just haven't done it yet, but the burgundy foliage, I'm so excited. So yeah, I have got to get my hands on a copy of your book because already we're like, I don't know, seven minutes in and I'm like, oh, I want that one. one." But you will love that first design. Um, and, And I really go through one of the things that I wanted to avoid was making people feel forced into kind of cookie cutter copying the design that I created. Mm-hmm. And so I show this space and then I show, I, I, I explain why I chose that specific plant. So you kind of see the thought process. And so it's almost a landscaping clinic where you're learning the elements of landscape design as you're reading through these designs. So you can take that and apply that to your own space. Your space probably won't be the same dimensions as mine, but you'll be able to say, oh, okay, I see what she did there. Yeah, I can take this and I can do this one. And, oh, I'm zone eight, so I can add in this other plant that she can grow. And so now she's going to be jealous of me. <laughs> <laughs> she might be hating me later on Instagram when I post my pictures. Yeah, I am so, so awesome. Okay, so I know because we have a lot of listeners from all over, which I absolutely adore. And like I said, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, so I'm zone eight. And Angela, Aston, you are zone seven. B? B. 7B. Yes. Okay. And, and I'm a much drier 7B than <laughs> your Pacific Northwest A. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of Oklahoma, um, southeastern corner of Oklahoma. So we're just out of the foothills of the Ozarks, and it can be quite dry here. There are years where it's very arid, very hot, and then occasionally we get those blasts of cold Arctic air that comes down and um, wipes out all of our zone B plants. Oh, <laughs> we, no. we try we try really hard out here to stretch our zone as much as possible because our summers are so hot. Right. And and, and then, you know, every five to ten years we get that one winter that wipes us out and we replant with hope. So <laughs> we, uh, we never give up. <laughs> amen. And that truly, that is gardening, you know, be it just a regular vegetable garden or you put in perennials and fruits or like this, even edibles in your landscaping. Gardening is such a, a venture of both faith and hope all, all rolled into one. It really is. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, and I love, I love kind of pushing the boundaries and finding those microclimates in your garden. I talk about that a little bit in the book where you can um, stretch your zone a, a little bit more than what you scientifically should be able to do. I love it. There's a little bit of an art to it that makes it really exciting to me. Yeah. So we actually here in the Pacific Northwest last summer had the longest and hottest drought in recorded weather history where I live. And so it was very interesting for me because that was something I had never had to deal with before Mm -hmm. in the garden. It was complete opposite of what we normally do. So if, and this is great too, for those who are wanting, you know, that are in the really dry and the the hotter climates and zones. So what are some good edibles that also look good in our landscaping? Because that's here where I am, like in the summertime when it gets real hot, you know, some of, some of my landscaping kind of goes away so some good plants that we we can add in where you're if you're really hot and really dry 
Okay, well, I do want to say the book covers all kinds of zones. Mm-hmm. Um, so the plants that I talk about, especially in the plant encyclopedia section, which is the third section of the book, okay, um, you will find plants for everywhere from California to Minnesota. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter what your, your climate is. There's going to be plants that apply to you. Awesome. And so you'll be able to adapt any of the designs that I created for my home uh-huh. uh, and just swap out the plants and substitute as necessary for your own home. Okay. Um, and so if you're dealing with a situation where you have uh, perhaps a drought uh, or dry, arid area, um, I really like some of the herbs tend to do really well. Um, I'm a huge fan of like lavender and thyme. They work really well together. There's new uh, shrub roses by David Austin that he's developed that are really um, very low maintenance, very hardy roses. They will bloom over a prolonged period of time. Mm-hmm. And because they are they are hybrids from older rose stock, um, there are several varieties, and I list them in the book, the varieties that specifically are good for producing rose heads. And okay. so you can have the benefit of like these new landscaping roses you see um, that bloom for long periods of time. They tolerate the heat really well. They're very low maintenance. You don't have to spray them. So if you're gardening organically like I am, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about diseases wiping out your roses because you're not spraying them with chemicals every other week. And so you have that benefit of that type of rose without losing the old world rose hips that many of the heirloom rose varieties would produce, but has been bred out of many of the newer varieties. Yeah. So um, in, in the book, one of the things that I did when I went through that plant encyclopedia is I didn't just say, oh, roses are good for edible landscape. I said, these roses, these are the ones that will still produce rose hips. These are the ones that, you know, maybe have a unique foliage pattern or unique color of bloom or mm-hmm. uh grow very dwarf size so you can plant them in odd areas. Um, so one of the things that I tried to do was save people all of that kind of trial and error Yeah. by actually writing many of the plant companies and saying, okay, this is what I'm doing. I, I want to include roses because everyone knows, you know, rose hips are a valuable edible uh, fruit that you can produce in your garden and look amazing in the landscape. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, listing varieties that do have good rose hip production and so they they would come back to me and say okay these are the ones these are the best ones from our entire catalog of you know 100 roses these are the five that have the best rose hip production and so i could narrow down options for people who are really trying to make this edible landscape work and maximize the every potential space that they have you know if you want a rose they're great make it a rose that's going to benefit you down the Yeah. So I'm actually going to jump in because I only recently learned like maybe a couple of years ago that rose hips, you could actually do things with rose hips. So I'm a little bit late to some of this because where I live, like, uh, you know, my mom growing up, my mom didn't do herbal treatments and, you know, that kind of a thing. So I'm learning this more as an adult on my own. And so for those who are like me or, you know, are like, you can eat, reduce things. What with rose hips? Um, so, <laughs> so, like, as far as the harvesting with the rose hips go, can you briefly give us just like a little overview on like how you would harvest the rose hips, and then some some of the more simpler preparations on how they're edible and what you do to make them edible, or how you prepare them? 
So I haven't used them medicinally yet, but my understanding is they're very high in vitamin C. That's and so a lot of people yeah. will use them uh, in a winter tea and they'll add them to their tea blends during the winter when you're not getting as many like fresh greens and, and fruits and veggies from your garden, the harvest kind of slows down. And so they'll use the tea um, as a way to add that boost of vitamin C, that extra energy during the, the winter. And awesome. um, I, <laughs> I cheat. Okay. Um, because I too am still learning much of this from scratch. There's a reason why my website is called the untrained housewife. Amen. Um, yes. You know, I grew up in California, so we went to the corner store. I could ride there on my bike and get whatever I needed. And so I am learning much of this, uh, from my mother-in-law. So I harvest my rose hips, um, in the winter when they turn the, the color and they look Good. I just cut them off and I okay. bring them to the ranch and then I help my mother-in-law wash the jars while she makes rose hip jam. Oh, so, <laughs> you make, oh, so you can make jam out of it. See, I didn't even know. Jelly out of okay. It. It's a really, really pretty kind of crystalline, really pretty jelly. <laughs> oh. It's like, um, it's not as a uh, thick as like a grape jelly or blueberry. Right. So it, okay. it has a more light translucent color to it. It's very pretty. Um, and it's a really soft, delicate flavor. So we use it with like shortbread or um, tea biscuits and, you know, kind of lighter um, dishes. Yeah. So, oh, awesome. we, you don't you don't get a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's kind of it's kind of a special occasion jam that she and I like more than the boys do. So, yeah, but I, I totally cheat. I find somebody who knows what they're doing more than me and I go hang out at their house. <laughs> Yes, all the time. That is, yes, that is fabulous. Oh, awesome. Okay, so that's so funny because I do have some roses in our garden and I get a few rose hips on them. And so I am totally going to be harvesting all those rose hips this year because I have to confess I haven't harvested them (laughs) in the past because I really wasn't sure what to exactly what to do with them. It's kind of like on my to do list. So I'm so excited that you filled that in for me. So now I'm going to be like totally out there um, making sure those little roses are well taken care of. So that yeah, and once, once those um, those hardier roses are well established, they can be surprisingly drought tolerant. Um, it, it surprised me when we had our massive drought out here a couple of years ago. I mean, we had like over 60 days of triple figure weather. It was Ooh. not good. And um, my roses came through it. Um, I lost a red bud tree, but my roses came through it. Okay. So, um, you know, I had a little bit of die back, but you just cut off those old canes. You print them, uh, in the early late winter, early spring, when you see which ones have died and which ones are still alive, you just print out the dead wood and they came back better than ever. So I was surprised. I think the new, some of the newer varieties have been bred for hardiness and tolerance and low maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, People tend to think of roses as being very fussy. Yeah. But I, I, I like the newer varieties that are low maintenance. And then, like I said, the ones that are based on some of the heirloom varieties in their ancestry mm-hmm. still produce amazing rose hips and very fragrant. Um, and so that's just an added bonus to me. Yeah. One of the designs that I have is a fruit and herb corner. Ooh. So it's kind of like a, a backyard corner with three fruit trees and then the herbs around and um, roses bank on one side and raspberries and blackberries banked on the other side of the yard. And so 
you know, I like incorporating the roses and to me, roses and lavender with thyme as a ground cover. It's just a gorgeous kind of cottage garden feel um, combination that is just so pretty. And even with our hot, hot weather out here, we can Mm -hmm. make it work. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited because I love, I'm very passionate about heirloom seeds. I taught, you know, heirloom gardening is, is one of my, my passions and, you know, I go a lot into and our entire garden, uh, vegetable garden and everything is, it's all heirloom, you know, we seed save and that. So I'm, I love, I love, um, like you're talking about some of those older roses that they've bred them from those base of the heirloom ones. So we kind of get the best of both worlds. Um, yeah. And I like, yeah, and I love the vintage, I love vintagey plants and I love discovering like lost, <laughs> like lost things. And so like with the hostas and stuff, I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that. So I love discovering and bringing to light for myself, not just myself, but then, you know, for other people as well, these little nuggets of things that, you know, is so easily lost. Um, and so I just, I'm so excited that we get a, that we oh. can talk about this and yeah, bring this light. Cause I'm, I'm learning things that I didn't know. So, and I, I love. And some of them are amazing plants that are completely gorgeous. And, um, one of them that comes to mind, it's a pole bean and the name eludes me because it's a foreign, it's an, it's an Italian name. And, um, but it's an heirloom variety that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily find in the grocery store, but it has beautiful purple pods and, um, the, the veins of the plant and the stems of the plant are kind of burgundy. And so if you put it up a vertical accent, uh, maybe combine it with nasturtiums. I mean, you just have this gorgeous combination of like cream or yellow or orange nasturtiums with this burgundy and dark green bean plant. Yeah. I mean, you could put any bean on a tower, right? right? And it's going to look okay. But if you put something that has these gorgeous heart-shaped leaves and this beautiful burgundy stems that contrasts with what you're doing, um, that just adds like, ooh, just that little extra kind of sparkle to the yes. landscape. So Anytime what- you can do a contrast like that, it's beautiful. But it's an heirloom variety that, you know, I got... Um, through my research with Baker Creek Seeds, reached out to them and they gave me some great ideas of, you know, varieties that are hundreds of years old, but still have incredible value in today's modern landscape. So what, and I'm so excited about that because we have, which is why I love heirloom and I love, I I, I do, I love mixing what you wouldn't necessarily think because how many times have you thought of actually using a pole bean in part of your landscape. I mean, that's not something that you normally would see in a potted plant or on a trellis as part of the actual landscaping. But like you said, if you're using a variety and that's what the beauty of heirlooms is because there's so much different variety that you get in color and flavor and just so much compared to what we're used to seeing on the grocery store shelves or, you know, with the hybrids. We have, um, we always just call it an October bean because in October is when you typically harvest it. It's a shelly bean and the bean pod it has like the burgundy streaks through it and turns white, but the stems and the leaves are just green. And then the harvested bean inside actually is really pretty too, because it's white with the burgundy streaks on it. So I'm betting that they're probably a close relative, but that variety that you're talking about sounds really Mm -hmm. interesting because it has the burgundy stems as well. Yeah. And you know, it's just a unique thing. Um, One of the example gardens in the book uses it. um, It's a, 
kind of a New England garden and her front yard was the only sunny space that she had. And so she transformed her yard from this kind of sloping, uh, ugly grass. It was just terrible grass. Um, of course, it's a New England house. And so a very cottage style home, very beautiful New England home, um, much different climate than mine. And then you see the before picture in the book, and then you see the after picture. And she's got this really cool and um, symmetrical shapes from the plants that she has on one side versus the other side. So you can walk down the pathway and then see, you know, the two dimensions. And then growing up the, the trellis is this beautiful folding. And it, it really is just lovely, lovely. And like you said, you know, there's seasons where certain plants kind of fade maybe they were cool season annuals or cool season perennials and so they've bloomed in the spring and then they just die out in the summer Mm -hmm. but you can take a potted plant with these pole beans that you've started you know in the spring somewhere else bring that into your front yard or into your you know accent place put it where your other plants have started to die out and all of a sudden now your landscape is just perked back up yeah I love planting in containers because you can Um, bring plants in seasonally as you need to add this accent of color wherever you want it um, and really elevate those plants to eye level, which just creates that much more interest. Yeah. Well, and like you mentioned too, the nasturtiums with the pole beans and nasturtiums were actually, when I was little, it was one of the few edible plants besides our vegetable garden, because I grew up, we grew a really a large vegetable garden and all that. But as far as in the flower beds, uh, my mom, every summer is I would had my own little tiny flower garden in the yard and I could plant Uh in it, like essentially whatever I wanted, she would let me plant in it. And I always did nasturtiums. And then I always with great delight when the neighborhood kid kids would come over and be like, you can eat this one. And they'd be like, no. Yeah. And, you know, then I would, with, of course, <laughs> watch this. And, and show, um, Great drama. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. That, that was our drama back then. But um, yeah, the nasturtiums are great because they're such an inexpensive, you can just plant them by seed. They're not fussy. You can just kind of grow them anywhere. You can grow them in the ground or in plants. And so I'm really glad that you mentioned nasturtiums because those are one of my favorites and probably just because I learned at an early age that they were edible. So They, they are really awesome and they're available in such a wide variety of colors that it's great if you just need a, a splash of color somewhere and um, you can put them in hanging baskets or port trails or like you said, tuck them in kind of around other plants and let them ramble like a ground cover. Um, it's just really, really fun. They're, they're a fun plant to tuck in kind of into any space. Yeah, and I like them because um, they kind of have almost a little bit of a peppery flavor to them. So, like, when you're adding them yeah. to salads or something, they give it – it's not just, like, a green. I mean, I love greens and all that, but it adds a flavor element to the dish as well. Yes, yes. Um, I have a friend who eats hers in her sandwiches because she just uses them instead of, like, mustard. She just puts, puts the nasturtiums in with her sandwich. So she's got, you know, her – meat and her cheese and her lettuce and then nasturtiums. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. See, that's so great. So I, I am so excited. Um, I do not actually have a copy of your book yet, but after this, I'm like, okay, it is my very next thing, like gotta do. So for those of you who are listening, if you want to check out Angela's book, which um, I highly recommend, especially if you have listened to this <laughs> with us, then you know. Um, so if you go to the show notes, like I mentioned, com, click on the podcast button, episode number 82, we are going to have 
some special gardening journal pages that you can download for free that will help you as you're planning out putting in your edibles into your landscaping. You can grab the link and find out more about Angela's book and her e-course at melissaknorris.com slash edible landscaping. And it'll be all there in the resource section for you. But the first part is the basics of gardening and then the basics of landscape design. So color, height, dimension, texture, all of those kinds of elements that a landscape designer would consider yeah. when they're planning a space. And then part two is my original designs. And I, it's kind of a walk around the house. So um, all of the different spaces and challenges that somebody might encounter, um, I, I try to accommodate there with seven original designs and then there's watercolor illustrations for each design so you see not just my sketches but then also like these beautiful inspirational illustrations that are amazing that Wendy did and then part three is probably like ultimately the reference piece that people will refer back to you know next year and next year and next year because that's where I had all of the research of you know how to grow it talks about the plant and its hardiness zone and classification and how to grow it. And then the varieties recommended varieties for each one. And there's like so many plants over there. I think it's, I forget the exact number, but it's over 80 plants that I profile in that section. Oh, that's awesome. So I want to share with you our verse of the week. Now I know many of you, and I was thinking about that as my verse of the week, because there's lots of verses that come to me throughout the week, but a lot of times when we think about gardening, of course, there's the verse in the Bible where we talk about, you know, Jesus is the vine and the branch. But I don't know about anybody else, but I have noticed that there are times in my life when a certain verse shows up repeatedly in my path, like again and again and again. And I have learned that when that happens, it is not coincidence because I really don't believe in coincidence, but that is God trying to get my attention. And he is telling me to pay attention for one reason or another to what that verse has to deal with. So this particular verse that I want to share with you has shown up over five times in two days, which is a pretty big clue that God is like knocking like, come on, honey, pay attention. So I want to share it with you. And it is from Proverbs chapter 18, and it's verse 20 through 21. And this is the amplified version, uh, translation of the Bible that I'm using. And it's a man's moral self shall be filled with the fruit of his mouth. And with the consequence of his words, he must be satisfied, whether good or evil. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. And so I really had to sit and think about that for a minute, which is pretty self-explanatory, but whatever comes out of our mouth, so whatever words that we speak, they are either death or life. And that's actually pretty big. That's a pretty huge thing. And I know it's important to pay attention to the words that we speak, but when I really thought of it in that life, that I am either speaking death or I am speaking life to not only the people that I'm talking to, but also to myself, really. So I have really been trying to pay attention to what I say and how I say it and to watch my words. So that is an area that obviously I need to work on and that God is dealing with me and in my heart. And it might be something that you're working on too, or it might be that you have ran across a verse or a particular section of verses 
and it's come up more than once in a short amount of time. And so I know when that happens that that's usually an area that I need to take a moment and sit back and look at and start praying about. So I have actually wrote this verse out, being that it has come up for me in so many different areas. It came up. I do, I do two different Bible studies. One is a Bible study that I do locally in our neighborhood. And then I also do a personal Bible study. And it happened to be in both Bible studies that it came up. And then I was listening to a podcast online and it came up in that. And then it came up in another book that I was reading. And I'm like, wow, within two days. So this is a verse that I'm working and really reflecting on and applying in my life. So Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you have a great day and until next time on the Pioneering Today podcast.